0: The Word of God this morning is found in Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 6. Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 6. I will read on our behalf. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought Him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of all his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in, in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Amen. Let us pray. Lord we are going to talk about the significance of your presence in the middle of the storms of life. Father, I think many of us as Job once did has heard about you. But I'm afraid many of us have not cannot see you clearly. So we pray that as we listen to these words, may we not only hear about you, but may we see you through these words. May these words be used to correct our vision so that we will start to bear wonderful, successful, blessed fruits in our lives. All these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mic's on, right? Okay, so I've been what being I've been a lawyer for from since 2005, I think. So that's 17 years I've been practicing law. Holy moly! And I've been a pastor since '95. How long has that been? 30 years almost. Holy moly! I'm old, right? So I've been practicing law for 17. I've been a pastor for like 27, 28. And I was wondering to myself, what's easier? Is being a lawyer easier or being a pastor easier? And I came to the conclusion the other day. I think being a lawyer is easier than being a pastor. Being a lawyer involves more work than being a pastor, right, clearly. But being a lawyer is easier because in the, my little area of law, I have most of the answers. If clients come to me with problems, I can lead them and provide answers to them very confidently. Oh, I'm a confident lawyer. When you ask me about my specialty, oh, people feel safe in my hands because they know this guy has the answers. Right? My paralegals once told me, you're very good over the phone. Right, I feel so secure listening to you. I go, "Yep, I have the answer. I have the answers in my little practice of law. I have immediate results in the practice of law. Things get approved. things get denied. Far more success than failures, by the way, this guy. But they're immediate answers. Not so with being a pastor. And I." Sp- especially realize this reality this year because by the mercy and grace of God as I told you people are opening up their problems to me whether it is my parents or whether it is my son or my daughter or my wife to my mom and to my dad and to my brother to my close friends to all of you people have been opening up to me about their struggles. It seems everywhere I turn this way, there's a problem, that way there's a problem, and people share with me, and I'm, I ain't complaining. I am blessed to be a year to your problems. Right? I mean, you know, I saw Batman the other day with my son. It was father and son Batman time. And my son was driving the car. And whatever reason, dudes when you get in the car they open up right so dudes don't open up with restaurants because I took a couple of brothers to a restaurant and they didn't open up but man when you put a, put a dude in a car they just open up I go so ladies if you want your husband to talk just drive with them they will open up and my dad my son was like giving me all the traumas of his past childhood I go holy moly I had
1: no idea He's just one guy among many others who's opening up.
0: And being a pastor is hard because I have no answers, immediate answers for them, to them. I can't give them confident answers that I can give them as a lawyer. I can't. And to be honest with you, I was in a spiritual funk in the last, for the last couple of weeks. Because I had no idea, because there's just so much suffering around me. And I felt, and I had no, no answer to give them. When suffering happens to me, I can easily take it and put it under the microscope of, God, light of God's word. And I could kind of interpret what, what significance of this trial is. I'm really good at interpreting the trials of my life. I'm really good at it. But when the people that I loved like shared me about their burden,
1: I feel so bad because I have no answers. I prayed that God will change their circumstance. I really did. But He's not changing their circumstances. He's not. And I felt so impotent and helpless. But then, by God's grace,
0: I was preparing for this sermon. And especially I was listening to, by the way, my favorite pastor is not John MacArthur, Pastor Eugene. My favorite pastor is Alistair Beck. He, I listen to him more than John MacArthur. I was listening to pastor Alistair Beck's sermon on this. And there's one thing that he said that kind of cleared up my spiritual funk. And he says, Genesis chapter 39 teaches us that God is not above people's difficult circumstances. But God's grace is within the difficult circumstances. God is not just above us controlling every situation. And God is not just above us trying to exempt us from certain pains of life god doesn't shield us from pain god is not like us human parents human parents you know what i'm talking about you want to protect your kids from pain as much as possible right back in the day in, in korea there's a huge scandal because all the political politically powerful and rich people like they want they wanted to not send their kids to the army Right? That was a huge issue back in the late 90s, early 2000s. People using their influence to get their sons out of the army. And even though it is unjust because all the other non rich Korean guys go to the army, I can certainly understand the sentiment of why these rich, powerful parents didn't want, want them to send to their kids to the army because they want to protect their kids from pain. That's the human urge. But God is a better
1: better parent. God is not only interested in shielding you from pain.
0: But more importantly, God wants us to discover his grace, his presence within the pain. If you think God only exists to answer, to take away your particular problems, that's not a biblical God that you worship. Always, always, I haven't had put the podium in a while. God's grace is more clearly manifested in the storms of your life.
1: Then His grace is evident when he tries to shield you from pain. That's why First
0: Peter chapter four, verse 12, 13, Peter says, "Beloved. Do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is trying you as though some strange thing is happening to you. Peter's saying, Christians, don't think it weird or strange that you're going through various trials and persecution. Don't be surprised by the trials and persecution of your life, he says. Don't say, whoa, I'm a Christian. Why am I suffering? Don't say that, Peter says he's saying it is the most natural thing in the world for Christians to suffer and be persecuted. That's what he's saying. Verse 13, but rejoice is as much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. He's saying all the trials of life, all the persecution trials of life, there is rejoice in them because you're participating in the sufferings
1: of Christ with Christ in those sufferings. To the people who, gave, who, who trusted,
0: trusted me enough to open up your problems to me. Do not think it's strange that you're suffering. Do not think it's strange that people are breaking your heart. Do not think it's strange that people are persecuting you. Do not think it's strange when you're not getting what you want.
1: Do not think it's strange, Peter said. God's grace is in those pain. In my life, he spoke more
0: loudly, clearly, more visibly in my life, in the midst
1: of the most audacious pain in my life, than when I went through success. My
0: firm says, I'm going to give you a bonus. I go, whoa, thank goodness. I'll give you, I almost said how much bonus they gave me. Secret. They gave me a huge bonus at the end of the year. Especially during COVID, they gave me a bonus. I go, whoa,
1: praise God. I was thankful. I can pay another year of my son's tuition. But that didn't give
0: me the understanding about him as much as the raw pain in my life. Do you understand? That's what Joseph's life is teaching us. God's answer, God's wisdom, God's power, God's life-transforming grace is specifically within the pain of your life. And I'm starting off strong today. to see where Joseph is today as we open up the word. Verse one, verse 1. Joseph had been brought down to Egypt at Potiphar's house an officer of, of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard an Egyptian had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So verse 1. We open up Joseph. 17 year old Joseph. It's sold. It's at a slave auction. Right, the way they buy slaves in Egypt is there's a, slave, there's a market for slaves.
1: So 17-year-old Joseph is stripped of his colorful robe. He's chained, and he's led to a slave auction. That's where you find him. And a guy named Potiphar buys him.
0: Let's think about the situation that that Joseph is in. Before he landed before he was in a slave auction, where was he? He was in his rich father's house. Jacob, his father, was a rich man. He was a very influential man in his society, in, in his community. And if you are, and not only is Joseph the son of a powerful, influential man in the local society, Joseph was that man's favorite son.
1: Do you know the freedom that comes with being a son of a wealthy, privileged man? I took my children to Disney World. They could get anything, eat anything, ride anything they wanted. Because this guy is paying for it.
0: I don't want to drive to Disney, they said. I said, let's fly. You know, we went to Baltimore because that's cheaper, right? But we flew.
1: My son will not know what it means to have a student loan. Neither do my daughter, hopefully by God's grace. My son will start his life debt-free. Imagine that. Everything that he earns after college, it's just his. The privilege of being my child is the same
0: privilege that your children will have. Some of you are children of immigrant, maybe most of you are children of immigrant parents, who've had a very tough life in this, war, in this society. They came into society, they don't know the language, they don't know the culture, they suffered.
1: But your children, and you suffered because of their lack of resources. I think you suffered because they couldn't speak English in the society. But not your children. Your children will have a great birthday at Chuck E. Cheese.
0: Your children will go have awesome summer vacations, go skiing in the winter. Your children, if you're wise with your money, will not have student loans. There's great privilege and benefit of being a child of a well-to-do person. Joseph, he's privilege and freedom. He got it in, in like, he was on steroids. Oh my God. Gosh, was he privileged. Look, remember, most of his brothers were field workers, right? They said, you know, I want my children to work the land. So Jacob sent his other sons out into the field to work. Not Joseph. Joseph, don't go out in the field, wear this robe, and fall around around with his wearing this robe. Joseph was kind of exempt from the hard, hard labor.
1: He was shielded from pain, but now that guy, seventeen-year-old, spoiled all this life. Imagine Joseph
0: hands being without any blemish or callous, because <laughs> that's a day in his life. You know,
1: that guy ended up at a slave auction in Egypt when he's seventeen
0: complete 180 from where he was from what he knew Is an alien in a strange land he doesn't speak Egyptian is that a language by the way what is, what is the Egyptian language I don't know I'm ignorant he doesn't speak their language he's a slave you know what slaves mean it means that he's a he, he's an invisible member of society Egyptian slaves, I think, I think the slaves in, in the American history have it, it perhaps as the most egregious way human beings were treated. There have been huge slaves in the history of man, but I think slaves in America, I think it the most egregious treatment of, 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 of a group of people. Egyptian slaves, they weren't, compared to the American slaves, they, were, they had more freedom they're still invisible members of society. Like, um, the only sports that I watch are documentary about sports. I don't actually watch the game. I watch documentaries about the game. So I, I remember watching a documentary maybe five, six years ago. It's about the Olympic Stadium. I think Qatar wanted to host... The World Cup. Remember that? You remember, guys? I oh, don't see, see. I know, not that because I care about soccer, but because I watched the documentary. So they, Qatar, and they're not hosting anymore, right? I don't think so. Qatar wanted to host the, the the World Cup, and in order to win the bid, they was they were aggressively constructing these amazing soccer stadiums. These, this documentary that I watched was about day laborers from Bangladesh and in India whom the Qatar landowners were hiring to build a stadium. The aristocracy er- of Qatar are the Arabs. If you're an Arab in, in Qatar, you're like the main, you're like you own everything. These guys hired day laborers from Bangladesh and in India. And all these guys do is work 12-hour shifts in the heat of the sun. After they work, they're driven to a camp where like 24 guys share one room and one bathroom. And they rest the evening, and they're driven back to a place of work, and they work again. If one of these guys die in in, in the middle of the construction, no one cares. There's no
1: legal lawsuits when one of those workers die. They just get another one to replace them.
0: That's modern day slavery. That's I think is a similar environment that we find Joseph today. He's an invisible member of society. Literally a few months a few weeks ago, he was wearing the rainbow color coat that his father gave him. He was the most beloved person in his household. Now he's an invisible day laborer. Everything that he knew, everything that he had was taken away,
1: stripped. He had nothing. He could die and no one could care. You know what makes suffering so bad? Suffering, so in
0: my opinion, in my experience, suffering is painful. Because when, you suffer, when we suffer, it challenges the very, our understanding of reality. The greatest suffering in my life, God took certain things away. And when he took those things away, I thought my whole reality was unraveling. Thing that I predicted, thing that I could rely on, thing that I could rely upon. That would sustain my life. God just takes them away. And when it's taken away. Your your world is topsy-turvy. Your world is like falling apart. That's what makes it so painful. When God takes things away. Things that you rely on. Things that you say I cannot live without. When God takes it away. Your world becomes a maddening reality.
1: That's where we find Joseph. Can you feel his pain? But even though Joseph is in such a place,
0: verse 2 says, the Lord was with Jacob. I'm sorry, Joseph even in the midst of that crazy, maddening circumstance. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Let's take some time to meditate upon what this means. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is with you. What is the meaning of the, what is the significance of the fact that the Lord is with you? Theologically speaking, as we said in the call of worship, God has two main qualities. God, not main qualities, I'm sorry, not main qualities. We can describe God, the Bible describes God in, in, in two major ways, I think. The first way that it describes God is God is transcendent, He is above and beyond our comprehension. His power, His presence, His knowledge, the way he directs, leads all things, it is beyond our understanding. A physicist, one of the most well-renowned physicists from MIT said, if we, compare, if we, if we put together all our human knowledge and compare to the vastness of the knowledge that is out there, the sum of our knowledge is, we, 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 compared to all the knowledge out there is zero. A renowned MIT physicist says, all the things that we think we know compared to all the knowledge that is out there, relatively speaking, is zero, which means we don't know jack squat. Even though we think we're so clever by inventing the iPhone, even though we think we're so clever in, you know, you know, constructing the laws of rules of thermodynamics, even though we're so clever by devising theories of general relativity, compared to the vastness of the knowledge that is out there, the complexity of the knowledge that is out there, we don't know jack squat. Biologist says, they have no idea how the human cell works. The cell in your body, it is so complex, it is beyond their understanding of how it actually works. God is transcendent. His knowledge, his power, the way he makes things work is beyond our comprehension. Do you understand? So when I say, oh, Jesus is my best friend, I want to say, you have no idea what you're talking about. Jesus accepts me for who I am. You have no idea what you're talking about, man. Oh, because Jesus Christ is the foundation, the architect of reality, and you have no idea what this reality is about because it is beyond our understanding. But the Bible also says he's not only transcendent, but God is also imminent. What is the definition of imminent? The definition of imminent is the state of being inherent or existing within something. Once again, the definition of immanence is the state of being inherent or exclusively existing within something. God's immanence means God is not only above and beyond us, but he exists within his creation. He's not only out there, but he exists within. That's what the psalmist says. The whole world is filled with God's glory, which means God's existence is everywhere within this world. There is no place that you cannot turn to where his presence is not obvious. That's what the psalmist is saying. God is out there above and beyond. But God's nature is also, he, he exists within. He especially exists within his people. What is clear about God in the Bible is he dwells and lives within his people. A few examples. Look, Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. God created the heavens and the earth. This God who created the heavens and the earth is also the God who walks with Adam and Eve. Isn't it interesting? He created amazing thing out of nothing, and yet he walks with Adam and Eve. When Adam sinned, God asks Adam personally, what have you done? There's a personal dwelling that God has with his people. And this model, you can see it everywhere in the Bible. Best example, Israelites. When God rescued them out of Egypt, they were wandering in the desert for how many years? Tell me, make me a proud pastor. How many years have they wandered in the desert? Oh, my God. Goodness, I was worried, but you put my worry at ease. Forty years they wandered in the desert. But in their wandering, every time they stopped, they built a tabernacle. It's a tent. It's a tent, and the significance of this tent is that God was dwelling with his people in that tent. The tabernacle signifies that wherever Israelites will go, God was dwelling within them in the tent of the tabernacle. God dwells within his people. When Israelites established their kingdom, the very first that they did was they built a temple in Jerusalem. What is the significance of the temple in Jerusalem? It is evident that God is is with his people in in that temple. God exists with his people every major figure of the Bible, from Abraham, Moses, Jacob, David, God dwells with them. God is personal with them. They fellowship with God. Do you understand? It is God's nature to dwell personally with with his people. That is why when David sinned, Against, with Bathsheba, what did David say? Created me a clean heart, Lord. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. He's saying, I am so sorry, but please do not stop dwelling with me. That's what David is saying. My friends, it is the very nature of God to dwell with his people. In the Old Testament, God dwells with two particular when it when it says God is with someone, it means two things. Number one, he dwells with people that he's pleased with. Once again, David says, Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me when he sinned, because David knew God does not dwell with the people that he's not
1: pleased with. If he is not pleased with you, he will leave you alone. When God is pleased with you, he dwells with you.
0: So the first definition of God being with his people in the Old Testament is God dwells with the people that he's pleased with. And number two, the people that he dwells, God leads and provides. That is a declaration of the psalm. The psalm is saying that you are my hiding place, that you are my fortress, that you are my rock, that you are my deliverer, that you are my savior. The psalmist is saying, "God, you you provide for me, you deliver me, you lead me, you answer me, you give me wisdom." God
1: gives to the people that He dwells with. Do you understand? Why is Josh looking at me that way? Do you understand? Let's look at the New Testament.
0: When Joseph, Mary's husband, wanted to divorce Mary because he thought she got pregnant with another dude's child, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and says, Joseph, do not be afraid. Name your, your, your wife will bear a child and you shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of this nature of God who dwells with his people. Once again, eminence of God is God who dwells with his people. The ultimate fulfillment of, his nat- of that nature of his eminence is Jesus Christ dwelling with his people by coming into the world. The incarnation of Jesus Christ means God. Remember how Paul described Jesus in Colossians chapter 1? That was our Christmas sermon. Jesus Christ, he is the agent and the purpose of creation. He's the one who, who, who holds all things together. He is the image of the invisible God, which means he is God himself. This Jesus, the agent and the purpose of creation, the one who, contain, who holds all things together, the, the, the perfect logos of God, this God
1: came into this world be with his people. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. Why did Jesus come to dwell with us? So that he will teach
0: us and die for us. And by when we believe in him, we become his. And the benefit of becoming his people is that he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell with us. Jesus says, I do not leave you as orphans. I will send you the spirit of truth. And Paul says, this Holy Spirit is dwelling with us. Because when we are made one with Jesus Christ, when we become Christian, Paul says we become the temple of God. Similarly to God dwelling with the, people, with the Israelites in the Old Testament through, in the temple, Paul is saying, if you're a Christian, he personally
1: dwells with you. He resides with you. Why?
0: Because remember, I said in the Old Testament, God dwells with the people that he's pleased with. God can only dwell with the people that he's pleased with. We are pleasing to God now. Because Jesus Christ has made, washed our sins. Because Jesus Christ has adopted us as God's children. We were bought at a great price. And because we are bought at a great price because of Jesus, in Jesus Christ, we are pleasing to God. You are not primarily pleasing to God because you belong to embrace. Although God can be part of you for doing that. But the fundamental reason why God is, God is pleased with you is because of the work of Jesus Christ. Like I said in the sermon last week, at the end of days, when you die, when I die, everything will be clearly be revealed about you. All the sins that you don't realize about yourself, all the evil and the, oh, in your evil, all the evil and all all the brokenness that you don't realize about yourself, it will be clearly be manifested before the Lord. And when my blemishes and brokenness sin is revealed before the Lord,
1: the Christian will not be ashamed of their sins. But the Christian
0: will be amazed that despite the sinner that we are, Jesus Christ still died for us. And we will be amazed to discover that. My favorite part of that song that we sang, you know, I stand amazed in the presence, right? My favorite is the last verse. It says, when I stand before the Lord with the ransomed people of God, it will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. Because that, song, that, that hymn is saying, when I go before the Lord, when I know exactly why he needs to die for me, I
1: will sing praises to him. That God who died for you, who cleansed you, is dwelling within you. I think the problem that we have is
0: we think, we take it for granted that God dwells with us. I say God dwells with you. You say, yeah, 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 I know. Do you really know that God dwells with you?
1: I don't think you do. It took a great price for him to dwell with you.
0: He endured the wrath of God so that you can dwell with him.
1: There is this immense cost that he paid so that you can dwell with him. Him
0: dwelling with you is not the most natural thing in the world. It's not. Once again, God only dwells with the people that he's pleased with, and our sins,
1: he's not pleased with us. But because he made us righteous, because he paid the great price for us, we are able to dwell with his presence. When God is with you, when you know that God is with you, especially when you're suffering. The way you see your suffering will change. And
0: that is what's happening to Joseph. Let's go back to Joseph.
1: Joseph lost everything. He's an invisible he was an invisible slave.
0: But Alistair Begg mentioned this. But if you le- read today's verses, you don't see him
1: complaining. You see Joseph going to work. You don't see Joseph being bitter or complaining. Because when you know that the Lord is with you,
0: your circumstances, your hard circumstances,
1: when you see the wisdom of God in it, you stop complaining. Why did Joseph end up there? Because of his brothers. Right? Because of his family. Most of
0: the people that I talk to are suffering. Two-thirds of the people that I talk to are suffering. No, no, I'm thinking more than 90% of the people that I talk to are suffering. They're suffering, why? Because of their family members. Issue with their parents, issue with their sons, issue with their siblings. It's all family issues. There's nothing like family to drive you crazy. When, I'm, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I say this, some of you will think, is Pastor Jay talking about me? Yes and no. Yeah, you're, you're going through family issues, but everyone that I talk to are going through family issues. And they're causing great, and these families causing great pain. I know what your family did to you is not right and
1: good. I know they drive you crazy. They didn't throw you into a pit to kill you.
0: Nor have they sold you as a slave, right? Nor do they eat, breakfast, eat lunch while you are suffering and dying. Nor do they present your coat to your father to say
1: that you're dead. They haven't done that to you, have they? As cuckoo for cuckoo your family may be. It's nothing compared to what, what the brothers did to Joseph, right? But Joseph doesn't complain. He doesn't say, Why me? Also, look, remember Joseph had a dream? He had a fancy dream, Joseph did, remember?
0: Can you remember, like remember his brothers and parents buying down to him? Joseph thought he was going to be someone important, remember? Joseph is opposite from that dream now. He's an invisible slave.
1: He thought his reality would be a certain way. But his reality now is, not, is, com- is completely
0: different from the reality that he, that, that he thought he should be. One of the major reasons for suffering, painful part of suffering, is you, just, like, you, just, you don't think you deserve that reality. You think, I don't deserve this. It is different from what I thought reality to be. That's the cornerstone of suffering. Look, the most heartbreaking example of this, my favorite music of all time is not Hamilton, it's Les Miserables. Les Miserables. There are many characters in Les Miserables, Right? You should see it. And there's a movie about it, right? One of the main characters in the Mizra is this woman named Fontine. Fontine fell in love with a man, with a boy, and they always do, for the summer. And the boy was nice to her. He, promised her. he promised to marry her like they all do. He promised to be only hers. They all do make those promises.
1: He promised to take care of her. They all do, right? For the summer. He had she had physical relationship with him. How can you not?
0: If he promised to take care of you and to love only you, of course. Take it away, young
1: guy. But he left after the summer. She became pregnant.
0: She had no money to raise a daughter. See, so she ends up working in the factory. The factory
1: kicks her out because she wouldn't sleep with the, with the manager. She became a prostitute. Fantine. Fontine thought she would be taken care of by the boy,
0: boy of the summer, summer boy. But now she's in a brothel. And this is a song that she sings. She says, I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different now from what it seems. Now life has
1: killed the dream I dreamed. Boys are jerks. I thought my life would be a certain way. But it's completely different now. That's big Joseph. Joseph could be bitter about it. But the fruit of being with the Lord, you will, the fruit of being with the Lord in the midst
0: of suffering is God shields your heart from being bitter. He really does that in the midst, in the middle of your suffering, when you, when you seek God, when you fellowship with God, when you see God in the midst of your suffering, really, he opens your eyes to who he is and who you are and what life is. When you begin to see it, the bitterness and the why me's of your life, I guarantee
1: it, will go away. You're not going to see it as why me, but you're going to say, why not me? when the presence of the Lord is incredibly felt in the middle of that suffering, you will be able to sing
0: praises to the Lord in the midst of that suffering. That's true. Look, one of of my dear sisters, she went through a very difficult suffering like a few, few months ago, and this is what she told me. She said, in the beginning, I was bitter, I was anxious, but in the middle of that suffering, God revealed himself to me. And I now know that that is the most important thing. It is not me not having to go through it. That's not the important thing. What's important is I start to see God
1: inside of that suffering. Christian, the Lord Jesus dwells with you. And when
0: you fellowship with him in the midst of your suffering, he will not stay silent. He will open his mouth to you, and you will be able to listen to him. And when you listen to him, the way you look at your suffering will change.
1: For you with family problems, the answer is not your family member
0: changing for you. Let's be honest. People don't change, y'all. They don't change. It's a fantasy to think that you expect people to change. That's a fantasy.
1: What changes is you. I guarantee it.
0: Because the Holy Spirit dwells with his people. It is his nature to dwell with his people. When you seek him in your suffering, He will speak loudly to you. Don't say, oh, Lord, take away this suffering. Not that kind of nonsense. But seek him in the midst of that suffering. Look, John Bunyan, God bless him. John Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. Next to the Bible, that's the best-selling Christian book ever in history. John Bunyan, you know where he wrote that book? He wrote that book when he was in jail. Why did he end up in jail? Because he preached the gospel. During John Bunyan's time, the Church of England was the predominant church in England. Church of England says only our clergy can preach the gospel. John Bunyan wasn't an educated man, so he said, no, I'm going to preach the gospel. So he preached the gospel. So the church imprisoned him for 12 years. He went to jail from doing what I do right now. But it says of him in the 12 years, his cell was filled with music. How did he have music? He couldn't, put, he couldn't bring any musical instruments in there. You know what he did? They had a stool with a three legged stool, right? He broke the stool apart, took one of the legs out, and made a, made a
1: flute out of it. And he was like, praise the Lord for 12 years in jail. He didn't ask, why me? This isn't fair. He saw God in the middle of it. Christian, if you only rely upon
0: your certain the knowledge that you have about God, if you just rely upon that as the basis of your faith and not seek after God, not remaining in God, not seeking after his wisdom in your life, You're not going to have joy in the midst of your suffering. You're not. You listening to what I have to say will be powerless unless you personally seek after him in the midst of your suffering.
1: Me telling you positive things will do you jack squat. Unless you seek after him. Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. That's a promise. Why are you not seeking after him in the midst of your suffering? Why aren't you?
0: Because you're strong enough? No, you're not. How do, you know? How do I know? Because you're bitter. That's how I know you're not strong,
1: because you're bitter. Seek after him. and guys were married,
0: and women were married, and guys were about to be married, you know you can't do music, not music, marriage, unless you seek after him. You can't. I'm so sorry to say, your wife perhaps sometimes will be your worst enemy. I'm really sorry to say, unless you're like, have a really super marriage, like the Starks and the Chungs, sometimes your spouse will be your worst enemy, and how
1: can you live with your enemy unless you seek after God? Do you understand? Quickly, I'll end in two minutes. Sean, look at me. Not only,
0: because the Lord was with Joseph, not only was Joseph not bitter, Joseph became successful. Because the Lord was with Joseph, Joseph became successful. This is, I'm going to give you a real, like, good truth that you haven't heard before. Here we go. You ready? I had a eureka moment. If you look at the life of Joseph in these verses, God made Joseph successful because God was with Joseph. But the way Joseph became successful is Joseph became a blessing to Potiphar's house.
1: The definition of success Biblically, is God using you to
0: become a source of blessings to others. Write this down. Once again, I'll repeat it. God's definition of success is for you to be the source of blessing to other people. It is not how large your 401k is. I know Pastor Ujian has a thing about 401ks. I have a 401k, it's great, right? Boy, retirement, here I come, Florida, right? Embrace Florida, coming in 2020, like 2040, right? Having a 401k is fine, but a cushy 401k is not the definite success. definite success is you become a blessing to others. Because the Lord was with Joseph, everything Joseph did for his master Potiphar, succeeded. Potiphar was a blessed man because through Joseph his
1: family, his household prospered. Look, God's grace,
0: I had one of the best paralegals in my my career when I first started this firm. The way that I knew that God sent me to this firm was he gave me an amazing paralegal named Elisa. At least if you're listening, I love you, man. She was so great, and what made her great was, I just had to tell her one, th- one time. And she would do everything right. Like in Korean, she, she could do it everything on her own. She didn't come to me with 10,000 questions. I told her to do it once,
1: and she took care of it. I was a blessed man because that paralegal did
0: everything. I didn't have to micromanage her. I was successful because of her. This is different from the paralegal. Most people that I work with, most people that I work with, they're just waiting for me to tell me what to do. They only do exactly what I tell them to do. Have you known this, people? If I say do this, they only do that. go crazy. Elisa, if I tell her to do that, she does 10 other things. Man, I miss her. I miss you, Elisa. Similarly, my partner always tells me I would kill for another attorney like you. Why? Because he knows if he gives a case to good old Jay, Jay's not going to bother my partner. Jay's going to get it done self-promotion here. I'm a believer though that I'm God's grace to that firm (coughs) because my case becomes successful because of God. The reason I find fulfillment in my job because I know that through me all these cases are becoming successful. I'm experiencing what Potiphar is experiencing. The greatest blessing that God can give you The greatest success that God can give you
1: is to make you a person that's effective and be a source of blessing to others. I want to change what Matt Chandler says about job. I
0: think Josh told me, Matt Chandler told told us to be the best worker. Yeah, being the best worker is great. But I think a better prayer is pray that
1: wherever you are at work, You be a source of blessing to your company. Not just a good worker. But a source of blessing. And I
0: promise you. If you walk with the Lord. If the Lord is with you. You will be a source of blessing to the people around you. To the
1: place of your work. One second.
0: Paul says in Ephesians 1, I think, too, you have been created. You're a workman of Christ. God has created you to do good works. That's the purpose. For you to be a blessing to your employer. For you to be a blessing to your work. I'm sorry, to, to church. For you to be the blessing of your family. My dear friends, I know some of your family members are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I know. When I hear what they do to you, they're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Clearly cuckoo. But the reason why God has sent you amongst those cuckoo birds is so that you will be a blessing to those cuckoo birds. Oh, they will try your patience. They will push your buttons. Oh, they will do things that no human being can possibly do in your mind. That's totally outside of the possibility of common sense. They will do that.
1: They will. Because human beings are really good at that. But you can be the source of blessing to that family.
0: Forget the why me's. Forget why he's treating me that way or why she's treating me that way. Forget the why's. Seek after the Lord in the midst of your suffering so that you will be a blessing to that family. Your family is so broken, so crazy. But you are the source of God's grace to them. And you can only be the source of God's grace to them if you seek after him in the midst of that suffering. You can be a source of God's blessing in this church. Some of us consider church as like, my daughter has to do community service. You know, you know that? Every high school kid has to do community service. So like, Sign this. I did a couple of community service time to satisfy my graduation requirement. Some of us treat church like that. I did my time serving the church. right? I did a couple of years. I did a couple of years here and
1: there. I led small group once. I was on the leadership board once. you shouldn't treat church as a place of community service.
0: You know why people treat church as a community service? Because people really, people at the end of the day, people want to, still want to think that their life belongs to them. The entire life is mine. I will give you a piece of my life but I want to I hold on to what's mine. I will do the bare minimum for you. But the life, my life still belongs to me. Look, when I ask my daughter for french fries, like, I buy, I, buy, I buy her fries with my money. And I say, can I have a fry? You know what she gives me? The smallest piece. Is that how we treat God? God's service? She's saying, all the fries belong to me. You only get a small piece of it. That is not how you're supposed to live life. You're supposed to live a life as a source of blessing, especially to the church. It's not enough to, to do a certain season of your life serving the church. It has to be
1: the way you live your life. You can be the source of blessing to the people around you can
0: god will use you in ways beyond your imagination only if you seek after him in the midst of your suffering i lied to sean i was supposed to end seven minutes ago sorry sean that is it so please seek after god in the midst of your suffering so that you will be the source of blessing to others let us pray